0: to so open your bibles download your study guides and prepare to explore bible prophecy
1: hello and welcome once again to exploring bible prophecy in today's program we are uh, continuing in point number 3 we have 7 points 7 sets of prophetic terms that we are looking at in preparation for our next teaching series which is going to cover the next the 30 prophetic events and basically the last Thirty prophetic events that according to the scriptures take place between now and the uh, period of time we call eternity when everything goes back to its perfect sinless state. We find that described in the last couple of chapters of the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And we're going over these prophetic terms to get a deeper understanding of these key terms and I have seven of them here that uh, certainly are not exhaustive, but I think they're uh, seven of the more important ones that we need to have an understanding of, because a lot of people, when they study the Bible, or I should say when they read the Bible, they tend to read them and think that uh, think nothing of any distinctive difference, that they are referring to the same period of time, the same person, or the same event, when in reality, uh, these particular seven are very different even though they may look a lot alike or or, uh, give the impression that they're uh, relating to the same event or the same person. In all of them, I guess I should say all of them, um, or most of them anyway, I should say, because we will look at the difference between the Gog and Magog battles, and there are two of them that people get mixed up a lot, but there are two distinctive battles. But most of the other terms involve, to some extent or another, Jesus Christ. So he is a common factor in all of these. But remember, as we looked uh, in our first set of terms, the difference between the Son of God and the Son of Man, it is the same person, it is Jesus Christ, but he will manifest himself, and he is manifesting himself in different ways depending on who the um, subject is or what the subject is. If he's talking to unbelievers, unbelievers see him as the Son of Man. And he will talk to them in a certain way uh, with uh, definite uh, outcomes involving judgment. Uh, if he's talking to believers, he is referred to as the son of God, and he talks to them differently than he does an unbeliever because in that regard, the son of Ma- Son of God is going to bring bring rewards without regard to sin. So major, major differences, even though it's the same Jesus Christ. So we're making the point here, that while Jesus is the common factor here, what we're differentiating is his message, the message, the good news, the gospel that he brought. The, the, The message that he brought originally to Israel is called the gospel of the kingdom. And when Israel turned their back on their promised Messiah, their promised prophet, their promised king, he then changed the his good news, his message from the gospel of the kingdom to the gospel of grace, what we call the gospel of grace as uh, Paul refers to it. So two very distinctively different um, phrases uh, for the gospel. Again, as I said in our, um, I guess, two programs ago, I wanted to make the point that it is all the same Jesus and there are many uh, moral attributes that can be applied to the church that are referenced in the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, So a a lot of very good things uh, were going to be brought about in the kingdom, but realizing that all the promises were earthly promises in the gospel of the kingdom, whereas all of the promises in the gospel of grace to the church are heavenly. There are no earthly promises to the church. So when you read where it says... uh, uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, that's not referring to the church. That's referring to Israel, if they had accepted Christ uh, in the first coming, and it is Israel when they accept Him in the second coming they will inherit the earth. No heavenly promises. So let's um, let's get into the specifics here. We've looked at uh, we're looking at four different um, titles, if you will, for Jesus. Uh, In this particular prophecy dealing with the gospel of the kingdom, one of them is prophet. uh, Another one is Messiah. We have looked at king, and now we're going to look at conqueror. And these, of course, are not all of his titles. I just happened to pick these four out because they're very distinctive, and they're also applicable to what Israel was looking for. Principally, they were looking for a king and and a conqueror. Um, very earthly uh, desires. They wanted the Romans who were imprisoning them, were uh, enslaving them, uh, were killing them, uh, definitely oppressing them. They wanted someone to come in uh, that had been promised, somebody to come to them who would um, judge this, in this case, the Roman Empire and would um, destroy the Roman Empire and then return Israel to its former glory like they um, uh, experienced under King David and King Solomon, when Israel was at the height of its power, when its geographic reach was the furthest that it uh, ever was and won't be again until the millennial kingdom. They wanted to see all of this, and they were expecting this uh, entity to come and do this for them, and it was in the form of Jesus Christ at his first coming. And Jesus came preaching this gospel. So We were in the book of Isaiah, looking at the attribute called king, and now we want to look at conqueror, which, as you might suspect, is directly related with king, and we find that in the book of Isaiah. So if you'd go to Isaiah, approximately the middle of your Bible there, 66 chapters of Isaiah, and we want to go to Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah chapter 11. And let's look, first of all, we're going to stay in Isaiah 11 for a little bit. We want to, first of all, look at the first five verses. And it says, then a shoot, uh, Isaiah 11, verse 1, then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. And stepping back just a moment, Jesse was the father of David. And this shoot is a reference to David as the son of Jesse. Jesse. Um, continuing in verse 1 of Isaiah 11, <clears throat> and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Verse 2, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Again, referring um, to um, it's it's David, and by extension, we're taught the branch is now Jesus. I want to make that point clear. Um, because Jesus is in the line of David, and David was the son of Jesse. So let's make the point here that while they might have thought that this was um, some reference to someone like David, we have to remember if you step back for a moment and look at Isaiah and look at it from a chronological perspective, Isaiah was writing 700 plus years, excuse me, 300 plus years after King David died. So we know for sure that this can't be the King David. Even though he is um, from the stem of Jesse, it's it's looking through the lineage of David down through Jesse, the son of King David, or excuse me, the um, father of King David. But it's really talking about Jesus. So hopefully, I I, I didn't um, distort that for you. Jesse is the father of King David, but he's also the father, if you will, of Jesus, because it's in the bloodline of Jesus that runs through. Judah, which is uh, where uh, David is um, in the bloodline. So again, we're talking about this promised Messiah, this promised prophet, this promised king, and now this promised conqueror. Verse 2, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He and he will delight in In the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist so this is a um, clear prophecy of the coming messiah the son of god the spirit of the lord will rest on him and he will delight in the fear of the lord and i wanted again i wanted to clarify here the point in verse three where it says he will not judge by what he sees or hear, or judge by what his ears hear that's a direct reference to john Uh, I believe it's chapter 16. We're not going to go there right now, but it's where Jesus is saying, as he said several times, I am doing my Father's will. I do not do it of my own will, but I only do what my Father says. I only see what my Father has told me to do, uh, see and hear. So it's it's a reference to doing the will of God um, as the Son of God. Uh, It's not that he has... um, Doing this in a distorted way. I don't want you to get that understanding at all. It's a reference to the fact that he is doing his father's will by what he sees and what he hears. It's by his father's will that he will make judgments and make decisions. <clears throat> so we see his attributes lined out here in um, Isaiah 11 through the first five verses about what kind of a person he's going to be. He's going to be a righteous person, but he's going to strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and he will slay the wicked, so he will be a just uh, Messiah, a just king. But now let's get a, a sense of the conqueror aspect of him, and let's now go over to look at verse 10, look at verse 10, and let's take it through the end of the chapter, verse 10 through the end of the chapter, and see what he is going to do. And again, this is a reference to what he will do at his second coming, because they did not recognize him at his first coming. So in verse 10 of Isaiah 11, it says, In that day, and again, this is a reference to the uh, second coming judgments, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. So the nations are going to recognize this individual referenced above there, again, to verse 1, the stem of Jesse, the root of Jesse who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. And that's a reference to the fourth millennial temple in Jerusalem where he will rule and reign from as king of kings and lord of lords. Verse 11, then it will happen on that day that the Lord will again recover the second time with his hand the remnant of his people who will remain from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. In other words, this is a reference to Matthew 24 and other places where he will regather the Israelites um, at the end of the tribulation period before he judges. Verse 12, and he will lift up a standard for the nations and assemble the banished ones of Israel and will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So there's another direct reference to this regathering we read in Matthew chapter 24. I believe it's verse 31, Matthew 24, 31. And I want to also point out that when you see um, a reference to Israel in this case with Judah, realize that we're talking about bringing together the ten northern tribes called Israel and the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, called Judah. So uh, it's basically saying he's going to bring them all together again. And then he says in the last line of verse 12, he'll do it from the four corners of the earth. Verse 13, he he, uh, amplifies this point that he made in 12 in verse 13. Then the jealousy of Ephraim, another name for the 10 northern tribes, will depart and those who harass Judah, the two southern tribes, will be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah. In other words, the ten northern tribes will not be jealous of the two southern tribes, and Judah will not harass Ephraim. So all this conflict that's been going on since nine nine 932 or 931 B.C., whenever the kingdom split after Solomon died, all of that will be changed. Verse 14, they, in other words, this combined kingdom of all 12 tribes, They will swoop down on the slopes of the of the Philistines, excuse me, the Philistines on the west, which is where Gaza is today. Um, That's basically the ancient land of the Philistines. Uh, Together, the twelve tribes will plunder the sons of the east. So the Philistines are on the west coast, on the coast of the Mediterranean, and now he's talking about those that are on the east, on the other side of the Jordan. To the east, they will possess Edom and Moab, and the sons of Ammon will be subject to them. So those are those three big people groups on the east side of the Jordan uh, when you're looking at Israel on the map. So the Israelites will be very successful here. And the Lord will utterly destroy, you see the conqueror side here, the tongue of the Sea of Egypt, and he will wave his hand over the river. And that's referring to the Euphrates to the north of Israel. The Sea of Egypt, by the way, is to the south. The river of Euphrates is to the north, so he's the geographic expanse of Israel from north to south. He will wave his hand over the river with his scorching wind, and he will strike it into seven streams and make men walk over dry shod. In other words, walking in their shoes on dry land. And verse 16, there will be a highway from Assyria, which is way up to the north of Israel, for the remnant of his people who will be left, just as there was for Israel in the day that they came out of the land of Egypt. So he's talking about the ways, and of course there is called the Highway of the Kings, that is an ancient highway in Jordan just to the east of Israel, that goes way up into uh, modern-day Syria and Iraq, and all the way down towards, um, well, into Jordan, and all the way down towards um, Saudi Arabia. So we see that this, this conqueror is going to lead his people Israel and, it, and they are going to take Edom and Moab, Moab and Ammon. We read that in Daniel chapter 11 and other places where this conqueror king is going to come back and is going to lead the righteous Israelites uh, into a, a period of time called the Millennial Kingdom. So we see that wonderfully prophesied here in Isaiah chapter 11. And what I want us to do now is go to Matthew, Matthew 26, in the New Testament, Matthew 26, and let's see if we can see any conqueror aspect of Christ uh, related here in Matthew. So if you go to Matthew chapter 26 and go to verse 48, and we'll do um, 48 to 56 here. It says, Matthew 26, verse 48, Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. So this is the night that Jesus is betrayed by Judas. Verse 49, Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Verse 51, And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels. How then will the Scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? At that time Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me, as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching you, and, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the Scriptures of the Prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. So we see this is a very poignant point in the end of Jesus' ministry when the disciples are backing away from this man who they thought could be the king, the conqueror. And in Jesus, in fact, Jesus says in verse 53 God would send me, if I just asked him, he would send me 72,000 angels. That's 12 legions of angels. So you can see that he could very much be the conqueror king, but it was not the time because Israel had turned their back. It was not the time for the conqueror king because, as it says in verse 56, the scriptures of the prophets had to be fulfilled that Jesus would go to the cross to end his first coming. All right, we're going to... um, move on into some other scriptures now that we've looked at these four aspects, the prophet, the Messiah, the king, and the conqueror. And now we want to go in and look at some things like what are the attributes of this kingdom and this gospel that are specific to the gospel of the kingdom. And we'll do that starting in the book of Luke in our next program. But we want to transition again over to our Q&A time. And uh, look at some more verses in the Old Testament dealing with God and how he views his wife. His wife is Israel, the nation of Israel, and how he deals with her. And we're talking about the tribulation period, as we found in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And it's talking about that 70th week, the last week of Daniel's prophecy, which is yet to come. And it's described in Daniel 9, verse 27, as the Antichrist uh, entering into a seven-year peace treaty with Israel during this seven-year tribulation. So during the first half of this tribulation, Israel is not experiencing all the wrath that's being meted out on the earth. And we find, uh, for instance, in Revelation, when you add up the numbers uh, during the verses the chapters and verses that deal with the first half half the world's population dies in the first half of tribulation but during that period of time israel is being protected by the antichrist but it says at the midpoint in daniel 9 verse 27 that the antichrist will break that seven-year treaty so three and a half years into that seven-year treaty the Antichrist breaks the covenant and turns around, declares himself God in the temple in Jerusalem, and goes to war against Israel. And we see that um, played out. We went to Matthew 24, and that's how we finished up our program last time in our uh, Q&A portion in Matthew 24, looking at verses 21 and 22, where it says, Matthew 24, 21 For then there will be a great tribulation, and again, this is Jesus talking to the apostles about Israel in the tribulation. He's not talking to the church anywhere in here. Verse 21, For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days the the great tribulation had been cut short, no life would have been saved. In other words, The Antichrist and Satan would have destroyed the world, every human being. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And we know from cross-references from the Old Testament to the New Testament that the elect in this context is referring to the righteous remnant of Israel. It is not referring to the church although there are some good theologians out there that, for whatever reason, want to read church into this, the Scriptures are clear in context. This is the righteous remnant, and it's because of that righteous remnant um, that um, the world is going to be—the tribulation, I should say, against the world is going to be cut short. And then we, we want to go to what happens to Israel at the end of this tribulation there's going to be a judgment specifically directed to Israel. And we find that um, detailed fairly well in the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel. So if you can go back into your uh, Old Testament, we're there at the beginning of the New, so back oh about a quarter of the way into your Bible to the left, and you'll find um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. And we want to go to Ezekiel, and go to Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel chapter 20, and in Ezekiel 20, verse 33, begin reading here, it says, As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I shall be king over you. And who's he speaking to? He's speaking to Israel. I will be king over you, Israel and I will do it with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath. In other words, there's going to be mighty judgment involved. Verse 34, I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you were scattered with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. So there's that same phraseology again about wrath and the mighty hand and the outstretched arm of God. And he's doing here just what he said uh, back in um, Isaiah 11, the same, which we had in our um, teaching portion um, in our study, and the same thing we see in Matthew 24, uh, verse 31. He's going to bring the Israelites back from the four corners of the earth where they've been scattered. So he says the same thing in Ezekiel 20, verse 34 here. Verse 35 and I will bring you, Israel, into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will enter into judgment with you, face to face. So this is Jesus is going to fa- He's going to face Israel gathered from the four corners, and He's going to judge them. And this is the very end of the tribulation period, verse thirty-six. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. Verse 37, I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. Verse 38, and I will purge from you the rebels and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they will not enter the land of Israel. Thus you will know that I am the Lord. So what is being said here? At the end of the tribulation period, when Jesus comes back, he's going to gather, as he says in Matthew twenty-four thirty-one, as was prophesied in Isaiah 11 and other places. He's going to bring them back altogether from the nations where they've been scattered, and he's going to judge them in righteousness, and he's going to separate them. He's going to separate the rebels and those who transgress against him from those who are the righteous, God-fearing, God-loving, God-worshiping remnant. He's going to separate them and those that are judged unrighteous will not be able to enter the land of Israel. In other words, they're going to perish. Just as that first generation that was judged coming out of Egypt perished in the wilderness, the same thing is going to happen here, and only the righteous will enter the land. So uh, we're not going to go there, but very quickly, if you were to go to uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 26, where it says, All Israel will be saved. That all Israel being saved is a direct reference to verse 38 in Ezekiel 20, the result of the judgment. Only the righteous will enter the land, so all Israel at the beginning of the millennial kingdom will be saved. All right, we're going to look in our next uh, program. We're going to look at the judgment in the millennial kingdom at the beginning of the millennial kingdom of the Gentiles in Matthew 25. But until then, remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring
0: Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.